Yes, and I just want to uh, take time to pray for y'all too. You know, if you're here this morning and, you know, maybe you've, you've stumbled in your faith and you don't have that same confidence and assurance that the Lord will do that for you. I noticed the worship kind of shifted and changed when we said, even if you don't, you know, that's a hard reality, but it is a reality in the kingdom of God. And that's what Daniel and his buddies went to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, you know what, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to anyone but our Lord. And did he do it for them? You better believe it. He was there in the fire with them. He didn't deliver them from the fire. He was with them through the fire. And he delivered them in a way we did not expect. And so if you're just doubting that, or if maybe you've never put your trust in the Lord this morning, we're going to take time to do that now. So Jesus, you know my heart. You know my struggles. You know everything that I feel and think. And Jesus, this morning, I ask forgiveness for doubting you. I ask forgiveness, Lord, for not living as I ought to, for, for walking away from my first love, or for maybe never embracing you at all. But Jesus, this morning, I put my faith in you. I give my life over into your hands, Lord. I trust you wholly and completely. Be my God. Be my Lord. I surrender my life to you this morning. And I thank you for saving me, for forgiving me of all my sin and for making me a brand new person right here and right now this morning. Thank you for lifting my sin and my shame and all my burdens and giving me that new, pure, clean heart in your name. Amen. Amen. And give the Lord a hand for doing that for us, right? He's so good. So good. Wow. Oh, and so, man, as we begin this morning, we're going to release the kids back to Children's Church, right? Yeah, be blessed. I'm sorry, I have a tendency to just keep rolling, you know, and have a blessed time there today. But we're going to be kind of continuing what we started last week, talking about the power of praise. I know, we got, we're getting there. We, we're sp- one of our core values here is we're spirit-led. We don't always do things the same religious way. We always do it. We're going to do communion, but we're going to do it toward the end for the, you know, to give you a, a heads up on that. I didn't forget, but thank you, because I do forget sometimes. Um, God is so, so good. You know, it is a challenge, and it is an encouragement. When you learn to live a lifestyle of praise and worship— because that's what it is. Worship is not, a, you know, an, uh, well, we're down to more like a half hour of songs, you know, on a Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle of being bowed down before the Lord. And when you choose to live that lifestyle of just emptying yourself and giving all praise, honor, glory, and power to the Lord, man, there's nothing impossible for you. There's nothing that can stand against you and prevail, right? There's power and praise, but it's such a challenge. And uh, this morning, we're going to be transitioning and looking at at least, I'm kind of, I don't know, I have a strong opinion in this, but it may just be where I'm at in life and things that I'm dealing with in life. But, you know, and I've been kind of putting this off because of that, thinking it was just myself, but I know that I'm not alone here. I know that most of us here this morning are dealing with this very situation. Um, One of the hardest situations that I can think of to give praise to God is whenever you're dealing with that of loss, when you're dealing with loss. And I know a lot of us have physically lost loved ones, you know, recently. And then, you know, we're still kind of working our way through that and trying to figure it out. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a harsh reality. Because we feel that not only have we suffered loss, but, I mean, a part of us has kind of died too. 
our lives are left impacted. You know, we always talk about this with divorce. You know, that when two, when the Lord joins two together, they don't break evenly, do they? There's pain, and a part of you is missing, you know, from all that too. But it's also true in the case with, with death and with loss. Not just loss because of death. That's one of the more obvious ones. But uh, we lose a lot of things in a lot of ways. And when you suffer loss, it is a sacrifice to offer up praise if we're going to be honest with each other this morning, right? It's challenging, but it is possible because our, in the Lord, we're reminded here in 1 Thessalonians 4 that, you know, Paul writes, and he said, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, the Word of God teaches us that it is possible, and I'm still trying to figure this out and learn through it, but it is possible for our grief, because we grieve like the rest of the world does. You're a human being with emotions. You feel it. You feel the pain. You feel the heartbreak. You feel the suffering. But your grief can be coupled with hope so that you don't grieve like everyone else does because you know that's not the end. You're not just going to kick the bucket and turn to dust, right? You know, especially when your loved ones were in the Lord, you get kind of jealous of them, don't you? I mean, man, they, they're just rejoicing now. They kicked off all that pain and suffering that they were dealing with, you know, and they are, they're there in the presence of Jesus rejoicing with him, you know? It's awesome. But we find an example of, of someone who is able to do that in Job. And I usually quote this, you know, in every funeral service that I do. And I got to remind myself of this. Job, he was the greatest man in the eastern side of the world, had everything going for him. He lost all of his livestock, all of his income, and then a servant comes, and if though, you ever feel like life does that, one blow's pretty bad, and then another blow comes your way, and you think, you can't possibly, you can't possibly handle anything else, and sure enough, what does life go and do? One final kick while you're down, right? A servant come, and he's like, you know what, your, your family, they were gathered, they were, they were partying, you know, um, I think it was his brother, his uh, oldest son's house, and, and the whole building collapsed. And I'm the only one who survived that servant to come and to share the news of Job that he lost his children. I can't think of a greater loss than for, you know, a parent to lose a child in such a way, not to mention all of his children at once. And it says here in Job chapter 1 verse 20 that at this, as soon as he received that message, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he went into mourning. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Yet may the name of the Lord be praised. And it says in verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And that's what most of us have a tendency to do, right? Why, God? What is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Why would you take them away? You know, it's just not right. It's not fair. Job, he, was, he, he fell to his knees, and he worshiped, and he gave praise to the Lord. You know, it's easy to give praise to the Lord when he gives, right? When you're just blessed. But it is a difficult thing to give praise to the Lord when he also takes away, right? Now, this morning, we're going to turn to a time in the life of Jesus when he was preparing for his own death, when he was about to be taken away. And he knew the loss that was going to uh, occur with his disciples as a result. And as if though that wasn't grim enough of a picture, 
his death was going to happen through one of the most difficult losses, because there are different types of losses, the loss of betrayal. Anybody ever been betrayed by somebody before? Probably everybody in this room, right? We've all been betrayed by somebody. The Lord's trustworthy, faithful always, but I would admit even myself, I'm going to let you down from time to time. I'm going to say I'm going to do something, I'm going to forget about it, and I'm going to let you there alone, feeling neglected. You know, losing someone to us close, losing someone who's close to us in death is one thing. That's difficult. But losing someone close to us by their own choosing and by their own will, that hurts deep. That cuts so deep. There aren't even words to describe the emotional roller coaster that that begins when you go through this type of loss of betrayal. I mean, it's heart-wrenching to to face the reality that we never get to commune with our loved ones again who we've lost in death. That we can't have that last conversation or phone call. You know, we can't share with them something that happened in life. That is heart-wrenching enough. However, it's even more difficult to encounter people who do have that opportunity, who could share life together with you, but they chose to take advantage of that relationship. Maybe they've rejected you outright. They don't want anything to do with you, but yet they're still there. We talk about cases of like divorce and and whatnot. Man, that, that is some of the hardest pain. You lost somebody, but they're right there. But they want nothing to do with you. You want to talk about heartbreaking. Or maybe you're living in just a, a really bad relationship with your spouse or, or a child or a parent, you know. Think about that. They're right there, but they want nothing to do with you. I mean, that kind of betrayal, it hurts so badly, so deep. You know, or maybe you've got those bad relationships that they just take advantage of you. That, that, that you're their buddy-buddy, and then you're like, what do they need now? <laughs> right? <laughs> It's a, it's a form of betrayal. They're taking advantage of that relationship. You know, and we expect betrayal from people who don't care about us, right? I expect people who don't like me to talk about me behind my back and take advantage of me and all those things. You know, and I, I kind of expect it to a degree from an unbeliever. If someone hasn't given their life over to Jesus, I just, I have a, a standard of expectations of them, right? But what happens when you are betrayed from our brother or sister in Christ, Right? How do you respond when that happens? Because it happens. We're going to go old school, Old Testament, and look at David. He encountered this situation. And the reason I'm going here is because Jesus, when he warned about the coming betrayal of Judas, he quoted this verse. He quoted, he said, this is a fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, I would never think of somebody abandoning me and and betraying me as being a prophetic act, right? Right? I don't want that kind of prophecy in my life, but it it was true. It's what happened. David had said in Psalm Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, he said, even my close friend, somebody I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And we all have our little wafers this morning, and you're reminded of what happened here, and we're going to talk about it. But David, it just broke his heart. He was betrayed by a close friend. He, he wrote about it again in Psalm 55 and verse 12. He says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. I could handle it. If a foe were rising up against me, well, I'd hide. <laughs> and he did that, right? Remember his chase from Saul? He said, but it's you. It's a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, one with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship in the house of God. As we walked about 
among the worshipers. You see, David had plenty of enemies being in the position he was in, the, the king of, of, uh, of Israel, right? Plenty of enemies, national enemies, and, and people who he just couldn't trust. I mean, in that position, it happens. He expects it from all those people. I mean, for many years, he ran, you know, he was on the run from Saul, King Saul, trying to take his life, right? I mean, he had entire nations that hated him. However, he seemed to be blindsided, and this seemed to affect him in a way that none of the, can you imagine a nation hating you? <laughs> that would hurt. <laughs> I'm sorry. But even that didn't seem to affect David the way that this close betrayal affected him. It cut him so deep. He didn't see it coming. It blindsided him. This is someone that he used to go to church with and worship the Lord with, who he had sweet fellowship. They were close friends is how he describes his relationship. And he gets betrayed from him. Well, how did David choose to respond? How should we respond when somebody betrays us and we suffer loss like that? We continue in verse 16. He said, as for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. So don't think for a minute this didn't hurt him. This hurt deeply. I mean, he's, he's con- you ever get consumed by something emotionally? You just can't shake it. You can't get it off your mind. You can't even sleep. This is David over this friend's betrayal. Day, evening, morning, and noon, he's crying out in distress. But he said, but the Lord hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed. From the battle waged against me, even though many may oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion, he attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His His talk is as smooth as butter. You know, you know, betrayers like that, you can't trip them up in their words. It's like trying to hold on to a, a snake, you know? I mean, you just can't. It just slithers right out of your hands. Their words are smooth as butter. They know how to talk to talk, and they know how to not get tripped up, right? I didn't do anything. What do you t- they act like they're the victim in the situation, right? Well, I would never. Their words. David said, my companion texts his friends, he violates the covenant. His, his talk is as smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. So cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Amen? So David is calling out how hurt he was. He's calling out how wrong it was. And yet he goes back to the fact that he can't defend himself against this person. He's just going to trust in the Lord. He's just going to focus on him. He's going to keep living his life before the Lord righteously and let people do what people do, right? The Lord sees it all. He's going to deal with it. He will deal with them in their own time. He will deal with you in your own time, right? David chooses not to focus on that hurt and that pain that was inflicted to him. And think about that. Because he chose to respond that way, Jesus quoted him when Jesus was facing the same situation. God in the flesh, the living word of God. What an honor to know that you handled it right by just trusting in God that Jesus, when facing his betrayal, would quote 
your very words. Those words that were spoken out of pain and agony and hurt. So when we turn ahead here, and you can get ahead of me to Mark chapter 14, we turn now to Jesus to, to see how he responds to betrayal. And I know this is a bit of a grim start, but I want to encourage you, hang in there because it's going to get good, right? In the Lord, things always work together for good. They always end on a good note as long as we stay faithful to him, right? So watching how Jesus chose to respond to betrayal can teach us and actually encourage us greatly, greatly. So we turn to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 17. Now, all four Gospels record this event. And like any honest recording of an event, they all record it a little differently. They all remember it happening slightly, you know, differently uh, in their minds. So we're going to go to Mark, the kind of Mark in chapter 14, verse 17. It says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table and eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were all saddened. And one by one, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Can you imagine Judas saying that, knowing that he already set it up? Talk as smooth as butter. Not me, Lord. I'd never, I'm an, I'm an angel. I'd never do anything like that, right? And Jesus said, it is one of the 12. The one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The son of man will go just as it has been written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It'd be better for him if he had not even been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I won't drink it again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they heard, I'm sorry, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You'll all fall away, Jesus told them. It's already been written about it. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But, don't you love those butts in the Bible? You're all going to, we're all going to betray Jesus at some point in our lives, right? We're all going to betray him at some point. Jesus said, but after I have risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. He's already gone ahead of you. He's already gone ahead of you. He's already there. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, all these losers, I will not. That's the SJK version of the Bible, the, the loser part, yeah. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, even tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Of course, we know that the very next morning, Jesus found himself alone, right? In fact, that very night, depending on how you put timelines together, they'd all abandoned him, even Peter, every single one of them. They swore they would go even to death with him. But when the opportunity arose, they, they didn't know him. They, they were gone. So we begin, whenever we deal with this kind of betrayal, by first of all being honest with ourselves. We are all just as susceptible 
to betray our brother and sister in Christ as we have been betrayed. It is a weakness that we all share together. Though you may swear you would never do it. You call me anytime, night or day, and I will pray with you, right? And then you wake up in the morning, whoa, 12 missed calls? I'm so sorry, man, you know. We all are susceptible. We are all weak in this area. And it doesn't necessarily help, you know, take away the pain when we are betrayed, but it helps us to at least be a little more understanding of how it could happen, you know, and, and to not doubt their intentions and relationship with us so quickly. Because whether with selfish motive or whether, you know, with the best of motives, we all are susceptible to this. All, at one point, we will all break our relationship with other people in this way. We will betray people. And although it hurts so bad when we were let down by others this way, we, we just acknowledge that we're guilty from time to time as well. We need to remember that. And just as Judas, or as Jesus was betrayed by Judas in exchange for money, for his own selfish gain, right? That's how, why he was betrayed by Judas. However, what we often consider is that he was also betrayed by the other 11, right? We consider Judas to be this, this awful, evil, wicked person because Satan entered into him and, you know, all these things. And, you know, you exchange him for 30 uh, silver coins. Well, he's not the only one that betrayed Jesus that night. They all did. They were all guilty of it. Now, on their part, it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't even their will to do it the way that Judas did. But they still promised one thing and did another. And in the end, they all abandoned Christ. And although we may be taken by surprise when we're betrayed, Jesus knew this was coming. In fact, he even said it was prophesied that it was going to take place, right? Although our losses are often unexpected, Jesus knew they were coming. I mean, Judas, think about this. Judas was chosen as the treasurer of Jesus' ministry. And it's recorded in John chapter 12, verse 6, that from time to time, Judas would help himself to the money. And yet he was entrusted with the funds of the, the earthly ministry of Jesus. He was a thief, and he liked to help himself to that money. So betraying Jesus for money, that was not a one-time occurrence. Whenever, you know, you rarely ever see a huge, significant moral downfall, downfall in, in someone's life, and it was just a one-time, it just happened, right? Usually it's little things, little things. As you feed into sin, what does it give birth to? Death. And that's what happened in the case of Judas. This was a habit for him. This is something that he kept dabbling in, right? And, uh, and it, it wasn't a surprise when it actually happened. It was a habit at that point. Now, the other 11, they had been there with Jesus through so many life experiences along with Judas. They, went, they were firsthand experiences to the signs, wonders, and miracles of Jesus. They were there with him when people would challenge him and oppose him. And they stuck through it with him, right? Even though they didn't understand what he was teaching sometimes. And, and they, they didn't know how to respond. They're like, keep those kids away from him. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want the kids to come to me, right? They, even though they didn't always get it and didn't always understand it, they stuck with Jesus through thick and thin up to that point. But when the, the threat of death was real, they abandoned him. So how did Jesus respond knowing all of this? Well, we know how he responded, right? Together with Judas and the other betrayers, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. He reclined with them. He kicked back with them, right? Literally. He ate dinner with them. The last dinner he was going to eat this side of heaven. And in fact, you want to know the irony of it all? That, that dinner, that last supper that they were enjoying together— it was the Passover meal. Think about the irony of that. Jesus knew that Passover 
was a prophetic act of what he was going to do that very night. He knew what was going to happen to him. And yet he reclined, he gave thanks, and he enjoyed that time with them. Even with his betrayer, he enjoyed that supper together. Together they sang a hymn with, you know, with each other. They, they gave praise to the Father together. Jesus, knowing that all this was going to take place, he still gave praise to the Father. He still did what he was called to do. He still kept his head up, right? And to those that he knew were about to abandon him, he said this in Luke's account, chapter 22. I love this, verse 28 through 30. He said, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he knows they're about, he just finished telling them that they're going to abandon him. And he says, but I'm going to confer my kingdom on you. You're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You're going to sit back and recline with me at my table in the kingdom. It reminds me of like Meshilabeth, right? I, I always get his name wrong pronunciation-wise. But, you know, one of Saul's last um, uh, relatives who was crippled from birth, right? He sat at the king's table for every meal. And when he sat at the king's table, his crippledness just disappeared. He sat there among them like royalty, All of his sin and shame covered. All of his previous bloodline cut off. When he sat at that table, he was a child of the king. He was royalty. And it's no different with you. You have had a citizenship conferred on you. You are a citizen of heaven as well as the United States of America. I think we're all legal immigrants in here, right? Yeah? Okay. If not, just don't tell me. I'd rather not know. Ignorance can be bliss, right? (laughs) You're members of, man, just, that's a whole message in itself. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there. Jesus knew that he was about to have his body broken, his blood poured out. He said, this is my bread. This bread is my body, which is broken for you. This cup, this wine, it's the blood, my blood, which is poured out for you. He knew it was coming. He knew he was the sacrificial lamb that they were chowing down on at the Passover meal, right? And he gave thanks, and he ate with them, and he praised with them, and he focused on their potential. He focused on the hope that he had in them. You're going to abandon me, but wait. I'm going to go ahead of you, and you're going to meet with me, and I'm going to give you a kingdom. I'm going to give you my kingdom. I'm paying the price to enter into it, and I'm going to freely give it to you. How good is that? That gives us hope in loss that it's not over yet. Though you may be betrayed, though you may have suffered loss, that's not the end of your story. That's not how this ends. There is hope. There is hope through the Lord, right? Jesus, when he responded to betrayal, he lived out what Paul wrote in Thessalonians, right? Rejoice always. That's what Jesus did. Pray continually. Where did they go right after the supper? Garden Gethsemane. Praying, 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 and wanting everyone to pray with him. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's exactly what he did. He broke the bread. He drank the wine. He gave thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quench the Spirit. Think about how the Holy Spirit within you must feel whenever something comes up and you're like, whoa. It's like a wet blanket and the Spirit's like, whoa, wait a second. No, no, no. This is, this is the stage for a miracle. This is the backdrop for what I'm going to do. This darkness is nothing compared to the light that's going to break forth. Don't give up. Don't give hope. Don't give up your hope, right? Hang on to it. Have faith. 
it's going to end well. It's going to end well, right? I mean, Jesus, look at everything he went through and for three days in the grave, but that wasn't the end of his story. And that's not the end of yours either. It's not going to end on betrayal and loss. Jesus totally and completely just trusted his life into the hands of his father. And he remained spirit-led, even though he knew that by following the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit meant he was going to suffer pain. He was going to endure loss. He was going to suffer. But that suffering on the path that the Spirit was leading him on was just a part of the path. And a tiny one. Three days is nothing compared to eternity, right? An eternity of glory, the name given above every name, that every tongue will you know, confess, every knee will bow. I mean, we got to hang on there. It may feel when you're in the middle of that season of loss and betrayal that you're just overwhelmed, that this is it. Life can't get any better. I mean, this is just, you're, you're done. But don't believe that lie. There is hope on the other side of that. There is hope through betrayal that you can receive. The Lord sees what was done to you. He knows what happened. He can feel your heart. Guess what? Because he lived it too. He knows how you're feeling right now because he was betrayed by his closest friends in his deepest, darkest hour of need. They left him alone to die and to suffer. Don't think Jesus doesn't know what you're going through. But guess what? He went ahead of you to Jerusalem. He went ahead of you. And he went ahead of you right now. And there is good things waiting. He is waiting there to pour out the Spirit into your life, to baptize you with power, and, and to equip you to live a life that you've never dreamed. Just don't give up. Don't be like Judas. It may be theologically questionable, but I firmly believe that if Judas had repented and, 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 when he felt so sorrowful for what he had done, I mean, he gave the money back. He didn't want anything to do with it. If he just would have fallen on his knees and repented instead of tying that noose and jumping, I believe he could have been one of the apostles who led the church into its future. I firmly believe that. That's the Jesus I know. Don't be like Judas. Don't end your story in the middle of pain and grief and betrayal because it doesn't have to end there. The Lord is calling you through it to the other side of it, where he is, where there is hope, where there is assurance, where there is blessing. Just hang on through the dark seasons of mourning and grief. Because what does the word of God teach us? That there may be pain in the night, there may be sorrow in the night, but there is joy coming in the morning. Look at the world around us. The seasons of death, even in the natural world, they come to an end and the season of spring comes forth. Beaming with life and activity. Don't give up in the middle of the pain and the suffering. And believe me, I'm preaching it myself right now at the loss of my dad. Like, you know, hang in there. The good things are coming. They gotta come. It's the promise of God. He trusted his father and look what happened with him. And so like David... Like Job, like Jesus, they are the, the, the pioneers and authors of the faith that you share with them. They went ahead of you. If they were able to do it, if they were able to mourn coupled with hope, and look how their lives ended as a result. Job had double restored to him what was stolen. Jesus, everything was under his feet. David, hello, David began the kingdom that Jesus finished. David had an earthly kingdom, and God said because he responded to betrayal in such a way, 
God said, I'm going to give you a kingdom that will never, ever, ever fade. And it didn't. It is now an eternal kingdom that we are a part of. I mean, if they receive such blessing at the end of their, their mourning season, then what more can God do for us, right? If we just don't give up and we just hang on and we have hope that pulls us through that season. I mean, think about that. If Jesus can, can take a handful of betrayers and build his kingdom through them, then what can he build in your life? If Jesus can turn the earthly kingship of David into an eternal one that never ends, how much more can he turn our suffering into good? If Jesus can restore double to Job what was stolen from him, then surely he can somehow, some way, restore to you what has been stolen as well, right? He can do it. There's nothing too hard for our God. We can have hope, and we can respond with praise to God, not because our circumstances are good, not because you feel like praising, because when you have been stolen from in life that's what it feels like when you've suffered loss when you've been betrayed you don't feel like praising at all but we can do it not because of how we're feeling not because of our circumstances not because our lives are absent of pain and grief we can respond in praise for no other reason than the fact that god is good that he is good he is a healer he is a restorer he is a rewarder right he is faithful to us we can have hope and we can respond with praise because of that. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 tells us that. We we're probably have it memorized by now. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Think about that, that race of life that you've been called to. If Jesus had some bumps, if Jesus had some times of darkness and trial, of mourning and sorrow, don't be surprised when your journey does too. That doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. That doesn't mean that you've missed it. It's just life. But that's not the end of it. And it says we fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the pioneer, the author, perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him. It wasn't a joy to go through the cross. Let me tell you, don't, don't ever let me falsely preach to you. He asked if there's any other way, take it away from me, right? Prayed that three times. But the joy was set before him. He had to go through the cross. He had to go through death to receive the joy. There's joy on the other side of this season. And it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross in fact, he scorned it, shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured so much opposition from sinners so that you yourselves will not grow weary and will not lose heart because your story is not finished yet. Your life has many pages and even chapters that have yet to be written. So don't end it here and say, the end, done. No, there's more to happen. There may be pain and sorrow now, but joy is on its way. So don't give up on God when things get tough. Trust in his guidance. Trust in his plan that this is somehow a part of it. And that he's going to work even this together for good. Because he has plans not to harm us, but to what? Prosper us. Plans not to, uh, uh, to destroy us, but to give us what? A hope and a future. Those are his plans for you. 
Sure, there may be pain along the journey, but it is nothing compared to the glory that you're going to receive, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we may be wasting away. You may be dying. But inwardly, where the Spirit lives, right, we're being renewed day by day because our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Let your glory fall, Lord. Fill our lives with your glory, especially in the middle of our loss and suffering and betrayal, Lord. Let your glory fall. It says in verse 18, so, that we, so what we do is we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, on, what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, Remind yourself of that. Death doesn't feel temporary. To the Lord, it's very temporary. You know, from our perspective on the earth, it is such a horrible loss because we just, we can't talk to them ever again and all these things. You know, you don't get to share life together ever again and we just get selfish and sorrowful and man, you know, why? But from God's perspective, it's the ultimate deliverance. It's the ultimate freedom. It's the ultimate fulfillment of his promises, right? And like, you know, from God's perspective, it's like, I've just, I just done your loved one a huge favor. They don't have to suffer in that, that fallen, sin-spoiled world, right? They're, they're in eternity, in glory. So whatever loss we may have suffered, whatever betrayal we may have endured, God has seen it all. He is with you, he is for you, and he has gone ahead of you. Don't forget that he has gone ahead of you. He is able to heal and restore. He is able to redeem and to reconcile. He is able to carry you through this season of mourning into a greater glory than you've ever seen before. He is able to carry you through into an eternal and give you an eternal value that will far outweigh every trouble that you've ever suffered through ever. So today, we're going to celebrate communion and we're going to remember with maybe more of a weightiness this morning of what this really means. And I want you to choose not to be sorrowful of your sin and mournful. I want you to choose something in your life that you get to give praise to him for. That because of his sacrifice, you've gained something. I want this morning's communion to be one of praise. Yes, Right now on your mind and in your heart is probably that loss that you felt, felt, you know. I'm sure the Lord has brought that to mind. But I want you to look beyond the pain, beyond the suffering, to the joy that is before you. The joy that Jesus is calling you into. The glory that Jesus is calling you into. And as a result, give him some praise for what he has promised and what he is going to do. This season is going to end well. He's going to work it together somehow for good and for glory. So just, just trust in the Lord. And Lord, you know what we've been going through recently. You know how our hearts are so broken, how we feel so lost, so uncertain, so confused, Lord. Because you lived it. You were there. You dealt with it. So Jesus, help us. Help us through this season of mourning and grief and loss and even betrayal, Lord. So that we may praise your name. Through it all, Lord, you are good. You are worthy of it. We thank you for going ahead of us and for, for preparing for us a place. Even as you prepared the Last Supper and went ahead, Lord, even as you went ahead to Jerusalem to pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you that you have gone ahead of us to prepare something even better, Lord. 
though we can't see it and don't feel it right now, Lord, we just trust in you, in your name, Lord. Amen. If you want to uh, peel off the top layer here, the, these are challenging, I know. If you get them all in one go, that's okay. Just don't eat the foil. Um, <laughs> Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this reality. He said that I, I give to you what the Lord has given to me, that on the night that he was betrayed, we just read about this and learned about this, that he took the bread he broke it, he gave it to them, he gave thanks, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken. Lord, that you empathize with us, you feel what we feel, you've been where we've been, Lord. We thank you for allowing your body to be broken by sinful men on my behalf. We thank you for that in your name, amen. And you may eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So whenever you eat and drink this in my name, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And Jesus, we thank you so much for your blood that was shed. Jesus, your blood that was shed, that unlike bulls, rams, lambs, pigeons, goats, and all those other things we were to sacrifice, Lord, that your blood was poured out once and for all. You lived the perfect, sinless life and then willingly sacrificed it, taking on my punishment and my sin. Lord, forgive me for the person I've become, and may your blood wash me clean. Forgive me of who I am and make me a brand new creation in you. Jesus, we just trust in you, in your name, amen, and you may drink. So I just want to encourage you. There is power in praise when you enthrone the Lord through it all, even through the darkest seasons of mourning and grief and betrayal. Give him some praise and see what the Lord is able to do. Amen, amen.